Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome back to the School of Last podcast. My name is Rick Roberts. Across from me is our producer, Gavin Miller. How's it going, sir? Going good. Hello. Hey, Gavin and I have a uh, panel recording that we're going to play for you today. I recently got to go to the Nashville Film Institute's Big Film Festival. Yeah. And a former student of mine is the executive director there, Ted Crockett. (laughs) Uh, And he said, hey, we're going to have a panel would you come speak on it? Yes, and I And without even knowing what it was, I said, yeah, because, you know, I'm all about helping out the other uh, people I've taken my class for sure, and I like to get the exposure out there for the School of Labs. Yeah. Well, then he comes back and says, we're going to have a representative from Sound Exchange host the panel, and they were looking for comics that are collecting royalties through Sound Exchange. Yeah. Which so, so whenever I get played on SiriusXM, Spotify, or Pandora, just like a lot of you comics out there, Sound Exchange is the group that collects that money and drops it into my bank account. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so they said, we want to get you and a couple of other comics, maybe another one that's st- starting to get royalties to come in, and maybe somebody that hasn't got any yet. Right. Could you get a few people together? Yeah. So not only is it cool that Ted Crockett, a former student, that is with the Nashville Film Institute invited me to do this. The other two comics you guys will recognize from a couple podcasts. Brian Bates, who's yep. gone full-time. Um, I kind of got him involved with Sound Exchange a while back, and he collects royalties, and you'll hear him talk about in this panel how that's helped him go full-time. Yeah. Uh, his episode was 29. And then the new comic who hasn't recorded anything yet is Paulina Combo, yeah. who was on episode 41 talking about producing your own shows. Yes. So you're going to recognize a few of those voices. Uh, those two are a little further back from the microphone than me and the lead panelist. Um, but the lead panelist is, is great. It's Linda Boss Baum, and she is the one who put this whole thing together. And you're going to hear her kind of lead off this entire thing. Yeah. But I want you to listen because if you're getting any airplay <laughs> on anything, this is extremely important and it will put money in your bank. And it's what you should be doing. Yeah. You need to create extra revenue streams, and Linda Bloss Baum is going to tell us all about it. It's a nice interview. We're going to listen to it together, Gavin, yeah. and then we'll come back here at the end to let you know how it's going. Absolutely. That being said, quick Stitcher review before we let you get in there. Uh, this one is from, let's see, this one's from Jason One. Tell me it's something good. It is. It okay. says, uh, Rick's a great teacher, <laughs> and I really enjoy being in his class. Thank you. I think that's from Jason Cronin, a recent that's student. Awesome. And I told him if he gave me a review on Stitcher, I'd take five bucks off his next class. So <laughs> way to go, Jason. I just wanted to make sure Stitcher was still alive. Yeah. All right, so this is our Sound Exchange interview. Uh, I'll talk to you after you listen. Cool. Sound Exchange is the collective for performers and rights owners on digital streaming radio. So people, in this, especially in this town, think of ASCAP and BMI as being the PRO and the collectives for the writers. Sound Exchange actually serves a similar function for performers and rights owners. So if you are a music label, you are the rights owner. If you are the artist, you are the performer the artist. Um, what a lot of people don't know about Sound Exchange, they think of us as a music collective, and we, we are. It is the bread and butter of what we do. But we also administer and collect those rights for comedians and for spoken word actors, which is part of the affiliation and why we thought having a partnership with the film festival made some sense. So thank you, Ted, for having us. 
and we're thrilled to be here and hope it's a long relationship to help us spread the message, not only in Nashville, which is a really important community for us, but uh, but to the spoken word actors and comedians who, a lot of which um, are already making significant portions of their living thanks to their sound exchange royalties. I mean, you can turn on one of you know five comedy channels on Sirius or five Christian channels or whatever genre of music um, that might not be getting that airplay. There's just not enough space on the FM dial for a lot of that entertainment. You know, with these internet and satellite services, you can get so much of that, and we therefore can compensate all of those players on those on those channels because think about it you know if Sirius has those comedy channels that they need to play all day every day you know comedians like you guys get some airtime, which may not may not be the case if we had to rely on the traditional methods and traditional media. So um, it's really exciting that that we've opened up those opportunities where people can actually, you know, make a good part of their living, or in some cases make their living based on the play they're getting on these internet and satellite services. It's really exciting, and it's a, it's a great message to get to spread. And I have the greatest job in the world. I mean, I get to call people and say, "Hi, I'm calling from Sound Exchange, and we have money for you." And in many cases, we do. We rely on whatever is paid into Sound exchange by the services that becomes the pot of money and if we can you know obviously for the Taylor Swifts and the Rihannas of the world we know how to find them but there's you know thousands in fact we have over a hundred thousand accounts of people that you know like Rick and like Brian that you know are making money from sound exchange every single month we need to go out and find them we need to get them registered if any of you guys are featured artists or think that you might be someday go to soundexchange.com register and the first penny that gets paid out We'll know where you are and we can get that paid to you. It's kind of an upward battle to make sure everybody knows who we are, but we're, we're starting to make some progress. It's a lot better than it was five years ago when we you know, really had a lot of money coming in that we couldn't pay out. But now we are very proud of, of the number of accounts that we have and, um, and how that is a huge part of commerce for so many entertainers including these comedians. And I will stop talking about sound exchange, even though I could do it all day, because I'm so happy about everything that we do, and introduce uh, three wonderful comedians that have given up their Sunday afternoon to come talk about their lives and their comedy and their business, the business a little bit of comedy, and sound exchange, like I said, is a portion of it, but there's a whole lot more, too. Um, but Paulina Combal is a local comedian, pug enthusiast, and pop culture aficionado. I don't know how many pug enthusiasts and pop culture aficionados you've met today, but you will now meet one here. Tell who they are. <laughs> kill them, yeah. <laughs> she has her own um, radio show. She co-produces the comedy variety show Comedy Pugs and Hugs. And she does um, the show at Mad Donna's. Mm -hmm. She has studied at Second City in Chicago and is active in Nashville's film and sketch community. So welcome, Paulina. <laughs> Next to Paulina is Brian Bates, who self-admittedly, I'm using your words, not mine, you were laughed at your whole life. Uh, we're so thrilled to have you here. He's got a smart, clean comedy that uh, gets him lots of opportunities at uh, clubs and corporate gatherings and churches and now film festivals. So thank you for being here, Brian. Let's give Brian a hand. And finally, Rick Roberts, who has been very instrumental in putting this panel together with the help of TED and the film festival. Rick, we're so grateful for all of your, your help and your ideas. Um, Rick somehow found his way from um, tobacco and horse farms in Kentucky to Simon & Schuster in Columbus, Ohio, 
and now not only is a very recognized figure in the Nashville comedy scene, but also uh, does something called the School of Laughs, which is workshops all across the country to make comedians funnier. So thank you for spreading your gospel thank all you. around. Thank you for being here, everybody. So, um, all right, Brian, you said your bio was 10 years old. Let me ask, let me start there, right. Brian. <laughs> What's changed in the last 10 years? Not only um, in what and how you do what you do, mm -hmm. but just kind of the whole atmosphere of the comedy scene. Well, the biggest thing for me in the last 10 years, about four months ago, I quit my day job to pursue comedy full time. Congratulations. And um, I couldn't have done that without <laughs> sound exchange. I've worked both jobs for about eight years, but when I started getting played on satellite radio and started getting those royalties from Sound Exchange, that became a big part of my income, so it, um, it allowed me the opportunity to go full-time. Oh, that's fantastic. We love hearing stories like yeah. that. What about you, Rick? How's it changed in the last 10 years? The uh, last 10 years has changed uh, a lot of different ways. For me, I've been doing comedy for 23 years full-time now, so the first 10 to 10 to 15 years, I did a lot of club work and traveling, you know, trying to do nine shows a week and all that kind of stuff. And it was, you know, the older you get, the harder that is, and the younger the crowds are, and they're like, why is this old guy on stage and all that stuff. So I transitioned into a corporate uh, comedy. You know, my comedy's always been clean, but the corporate crowds tend to respect you a lot more than a comedy club crowd is would do, and so that's changed. And obviously, Sound Exchange has helped out a lot, too. I remember... If I can tell just a quick story about course, the first time. please tell Sound Exchange So story. I'm not sure how I first heard about Sound Exchange, but somebody told me, hey, they're playing you on Sirius XM. You should register a Sound Exchange. And I wish I could trace that back to who it was and thank them. But I went online, uh, looked at the paperwork, downloaded it, printed it out. I was like, do I really want to send in my bank account numbers and stuff? I, you know, but I did, and I, I kind of forgot about it. Seven or eight months passed, and I, at that point, you guys were just kind of getting rolling, so it probably took a while to get into the system and all that. And... We were getting ready to buy my wife's mom's car, uh, as a used car to kind of hang out and drive around. So I went down to the bank to see if I had enough money in there to go get the car. And the lady goes, yeah, you got enough money. What are you going to do with all this extra money? And I said, there shouldn't be any extra money in there at all right now. <laughs> and then she told me how much. I'm like, I think we need to call the police or something. I thought my account was being laundered. I really did. Because the extra, cause the first check had maybe gone back a little bit and grabbed a bunch of cash from the previous plays or whatever, but uh, when I first saw it, I said, can you, you know, trace it back and tell me how that money got in there? And she goes, let's see if we can pull it up. And she goes, it says here, royalties. Are you a songwriter or something? I'm like, oh. <laughs> and like, I didn't, like, I drove around the block for about an hour. I'm like, what am I going to, that's, like, that's a little extra money. What am I going to do? <laughs> I'm like, we can go get a new car now, or we can get your mom's car. <laughs> So I went back home and, and told my wife, said, hey, that sound exchange money's coming in. And, and I didn't even use that money for anything for like three or four months because I thought maybe they overpaid me and that I had to pay it back. I'm seriously, it was a good chunk of money. And I'm like, maybe I should just keep it there because they're going to say, ah, oh, we miss, mistook you for somebody yeah. else. And then the next month, more money came. Actually, th then it was quarterly. So the next quarter, another check came in. I'm like, okay, I guess I can spend the first now. <laughs> it's their fault. <laughs> you know? So then they just kept coming in. And then in the past two years, you guys have been paying every month yes. direct deposit. So We're it's a nice little monthly uh, deposit that pops in there. And to be honest with you, I've used all that money to fund uh, our retirement accounts and some kids' college stuff. So I'm not really going out there and you know, buying a Porsche with it or anything, but I'm trying to make sure that the family's good. And it's something I couldn't do had you guys not started what you did, you know, put together. And, and I always look at it like, hey, it may run out, so, you know. 
make sure they get what they need. Thank you for saying that. Those are the stories that, that make everything we do worthwhile, and we kind of need to hear them all the time. So, Paulina, tell us about kind of, you're, you're probably the newest to all the right. comedy scene, but um, tell us what it's been like for you to get started. Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw the description for this, but it's three generations. <laughs> oh, no. That's how we started, so, yes. Yeah, we have Rick. He's the, the veteran comedian. He's been making a living. And then Brian, he just went full time. And they're like, yeah, I guess we need somebody else. So. <laughs> Haven't quit the day job yet? No, no. no I, right now, I kind of, I've been doing comedy about three and a half years. And I've decided I'm at that point where um, I'm just working super, super hard to try and just pay down any kind of debt or bills I can just kind of get out of my hair so that I can make that transition to, to full time comedy. And I don't know, to me, that would make it easier to, to not have student loans and car debt and things like that. But that's kind of where I'm at. And it's, it's nice to hear about Sound Exchange because I didn't think, I was like, I don't have a comedy album, but I do have a radio show and I have stuff out there on iHeartRadio. And so I didn't even realize that that might be catching some pennies here and there. Or who knows what else? Um, so yeah, that's pretty exciting. I don't know. I don't know. That, I don't want to get into it. That's perfect. Okay. That's, well, you guys should feel free to get into yeah. whatever you, you'd like to. But, well, um, I've been encouraging Paulina, even though she's only been at it for three and a half mm -hmm. years, to get, and this is what I tell a lot of new comics, um, you don't have to wait till you have an hour to record a CD. Why not record your best 15 minutes, find three or four other comics to do the mm -hmm. same thing, and make a compilation, and highlight on the outside, this is great for Laugh USA, or this is great for Raw Dog Radio, and make sure you can go ahead and get some money coming in that might help you pay off a student loan down the road. But there's no reason to wait till you have a full hour, like the old days, to have a CD. And everywhere you go, you could cross-promote the other three comics, and vice mm -hmm. versa. And just get the ball rolling now. You that's know? that's great advice, and that's you know something I'd like to turn to next is I mean obviously technology is very different today than it was even two years ago. Um, you know Sound Exchange is proud to kind of be a part of that ecosystem, but how how do you wake up in the morning and view technology? I mean for years some people thought of it as a threat, and the people were stealing all of your stuff, and you know, um, and I think there is kind of this new generation, at least at least new way of thinking that this is maybe an opportunity that you didn't have before. I mean, how do you view technology as you kind of move forward and have a, a nationwide school of laughs or, you know, the marathon that's going on this weekend? Just any example that technology could play a part in. Well, I started doing a podcast about a year ago. I, I teach comedy classes here in Nashville, and for years I was getting people driving up from Birmingham. I had a guy fly in from Texas three times. I'm like, is there no other comedy class out there? So I started doing a podcast to get the word out about the, the comedy class. And um, that's been going since last June. And we've got listeners in 23 countries that listen to it. I've got people wow. taking the online class, which I couldn't have done you know, five years ago. I've got people taking that from Italy, Japan, people that I would never have the reach to, to even, I, I, don't, you know, I don't know how these guys find out about it, to be honest <laughs> with you, but they search and they find it. And so they're downloading the online class and taking it and listening to the podcast. And all that's really in the past five years made possible. You know, I couldn't do that before. So, Paulina, you spent some time in Second City in Chicago. I mean, how yeah. <laughs> how does that differ from today? I mean, are they still teaching the same way that they did? I mean, you, you've got a great new approach, Rick, with your school, you know, kind of being online and, and all these European countries. And, I mean, how um, is Second City always going to be Second City? And, you know? I think so. Um, like, personally, I, I like to get all the different forms of learning, like Rick's teaching. I took um, a, a sketch, like a writing class with you and an improv class with you, and then I took like sketch writing and improv at Second City, 
Um, and so it's not that they're contradicting each other, but you're just adding on. I'm like, can I ask who in here is interested in doing comedy or like content creators on the internet and things like that? Yeah, like everybody probably, right? You can Instagram videos, things like that. You think it's something funny or Vine, I guess, with the cool kids, yeah. the teens, dude. <laughs> I don't know about all that. Yeah, but no. If I think if this, there, I don't think there are any fourteen-year-olds in here. But if there were, I think every fourteen-year-old would probably yeah. raise their hand, right? Because that's what they do all day long these days, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, basically everybody's a content creator in some way. If you have a, a smartphone or an iPhone, um, and yeah, my approach to, I, I guess you are talking about the classes and the education is just just get all the knowledge you can. It's kind of like the people who say, you don't necessarily need a college degree, but you need to keep learning for the rest of your life. The people who you advice. find out they snuck into college classes and did things like that. You always need to, to learn and to do things, but I don't know. And then some people are really against the kind of comedy classes, and that's fine too. You learn from doing, but me personally, I like to learn from somebody who's got the experience and they've done it and they've They've uh, made the mistakes and they've done things right, and they can kind of tell us. We can learn from their their time. What impact has technology had on the clubs? So are they still still as many of them around? Still as successful? Still as many shows per week? Is I think so. I mean, the live comedy shows the clubs the clubs are only as good as their management. You know, just like a restaurant manager can run a club into the ground. It happens a lot with comedy clubs too. Uh, the chains, you know, like the Improvs and Funny Bones and, and Zanies and places like that, they have some leverage because they can book bigger artists in for just one night and maybe put them all for their clubs in one week and have one big impactful week. I think the one trend I've seen in the past seven or eight years is when I first started 23 years ago, you know, the clubs would have three comics, an opener, a middle, and a, and a headliner, and they were there from Tuesday through Sunday. Now a lot of clubs have a special show on Tuesday, a special show on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday and Saturday there might be the same group of comics and then Sunday's a whole different show. Mm -hmm. So the comedy club has become more of a venue than a comedy club. It's a big difference from when I started. When I first started, by the end of the week, if the, first, if the early shows were good Tuesday and Wednesday, you would pack out the weekend because those people would tell their friends. Sure. Now, you know, Wednesday and Thursday might just be this, the two nights you're there, period. So Sweet. what's the dream gig? What's the dream gig for if you got the call tomorrow that would make you kind of get on Twitter and tell everybody I just got my, my dream just came true? What would that oh, be? It's always SNL. Yeah. That, yeah, I don't care if that show gets canceled. I still want to be on it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's going to get canceled yeah. anytime soon. <laughs> Brian, say. I don't know. I think for me, just if you ever get to the point where you have your own fan base that they're coming specifically because they like your style of comedy. And that's when you've really made it, as opposed to just people going out to see a comedy show and see who's there. Right. Because everyone has their own style and niche, and people whose fans truly follow them, that's that's the ideal situation. I think that's groupies. Yeah. 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 And I like what Brian said, and I, I like the fact, you know, your fans follow you. I would like to make it so easy for my fans that my dream would be have a little... 150-seat theater somewhere here in Nashville where throughout the week, Monday through Wednesday, I can teach my classes. Friday, Saturday, I put on a show and put my students up on the show, and everybody comes to see us. We don't have to travel at all. Mm -hmm. That'd be great. That's Just a great dream. Everybody come on in. Like take Branson this, and Mount Juliet. That's what I'm looking for. Take those sound exchange royalties and put That's them right. in a special little bucket for that. That's a wonderful. There right? you go. And I mean, we, we should talk about that too, because Paulina said, you know, look, we, we, I thought I'd have to rent a studio and a producer and pay it. And 
sadly, the other side of the coin and what we spend a lot of time talking about here in Nashville is, you know, the fact that those studios aren't as full as they used to be and that there are a lot of studio owners and producers and musicians that have had to adjust their lives and their livelihoods in some cases because that's not the case. I mean, maybe that's the natural transition is to actually, you know, those studios are going to turn over and hopefully it's, they won't all become nail salons and, you know, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> for the good of, yeah, or yeah. condos yeah, or hotels or, yes, exactly. But, you know, to actually still support the creative arts with ideas like yours, Rick, and, you know, there may be that opportunity if you keep looking for the release signs there on Music Row. It's a, it's a sad reality, but it would be nice to see it transform into something creative. It's interesting. I, I want to tag on to that just for a second. It's one of the really benefits of creating your own CD is the, the ownership part of it. I want to say that for a second because um, you, some of the bigger comedians, you know, they put their stuff out on a, a big label and the label's getting their part. But one of the great things that's kind of helped me is owning everything that I have out there. Sure and owning both sides of it. So I actually get two statements from Sound Exchange each month. One shows the ownership rights and one's the performer rights. So if you're ever thinking about doing anything out there, really take your time if somebody wants to sign you up to record something and, and fight for your rights to own bar both parts of it or split the, the other ownership parts because you have the possibility of owning both sides of it. And uh, there's a whole legal team of lawyers that at any given time is sitting before something called the Copyright Royalty Board, um, which is a, made up of some judges that sit in a really sad courtroom. <laughs> it's not really a courtroom. It's some, you know, basically a government building, you know, windowless room. But they wear robes and, and, they, and they are very important to what we do because they set those rates and um, hear from all the parties. So, for example, right now we're in the middle of the Web 4 proceedings. So it's looking at how much internet services will compensate SoundExchange per rate. It, those numbers are different than what XM, Sirius XM pays. Um, and they're always up for renewal based on kind of the current market conditions and kind of um, what they look like. So um, there's not, I can't tell you that every time you get played, you get a nickel. I mean, it's, it's unfortunately not that simple, but I will say a huge part of what we do and why we're in DC is so that we are sitting in those halls every single day and thinking about how to get the maximum um, compensation which is well-deserved, you know, when you think about it. I mean, these companies are making lots and lots of money in some cases. You know, some, not everybody, but, you know, obviously the SiriusXMs of the world and the Pandoras are, their business model is based on their listenership. So, um, you know, we are constantly looking at kind of what the fair market conditions and what those per play rates are. And it is delineated on your statement. Rick? Uh, one thing I like about the statements you get from Sound Exchange is it shows all the different tracks that, are, that you own the rights to that are being played. And so you're asking about the, the business model changing the artist model a little bit. I'm able to look and see which songs get played the most mm -hmm. and, so, um, and which bits. And so I'm actually, when I'm writing this new hour of comedy, I'm trying to write a few more bits similar in taste. Sure. Like I've got a hunting bit that gets played a ton on Laugh USA. So I'm going to write a, a big bit about fishing. And probably the same people that request the one would request the other. Right. But I wouldn't have that insight if I wouldn't get those statements. Mm -hmm. And there's no way I'm going to sit there and listen to you know, Sirius XM all day and, oh, they're playing this one again. But it's right there in an Excel spreadsheet for you. And you can really break down you know, what's being played the least. So maybe I don't write a bit about the stuff that's being played the least for the CD. I might still do it live. But sure. you know, why not give the people what they want? You can well, tell what they want by and this. And that's a huge statements. benefit of technology. We're talking about technology. I mean, the whole basis of what SoundExchange is built on and how that reporting happens 
it's done in computers. I mean, people, this is internet radio, this is satellite radio. They are writing down every bit, every song that they're playing. Back in the old days of FM radio, 50 years ago, there was some college kids sitting there writing down every song, and what they typically do, and ASCAP and BMI still do it this way, is a sample. So they'll take a given hour of a given day, and they'll count how many times Taylor Swift's songs are played, and then they'll kind of carry that out across you know the rest of the day, and sample what those royalties should look like. We have census reporting, so when they give us those reporting logs, we can absolutely report that back to the rights owner and the artist and tell them, you know, this, you know, it's great information for you, but it's funny when a lot of people get that first check, they're like, well, what are people listening to? And they can actually see the, you know, the tracks and it's, it's wonderful information. And it really, there's no reason that shouldn't be the case in the age of computers because computers are counting everything. Anyhow, we might as well just make the best use of that information. I went back and remastered and re-recorded a couple of my early ones to send on to Sirius XM and sure enough, they started playing them. So, so how many do you press? Do you press? I mean, do you still sell CDs at the clubs? Well, this, and, I mean, this is interesting because that when you're doing comedy clubs, merchandise would typically double your week's pay mm-hmm. at any level. So if, if you're making a thousand bucks for the week, you'd try to sell that much in merchandise. And then clubs would start taking a cut of your merchandise sales, or the headliner would say, only I can sell this week, and then all of a sudden you're showed up to a club and you're going to make half as much as you expected. So that was the business model in clubs full-time. Uh, with doing the corporate events now, I always press 5,000 in my CDs, and I give them out. So from the stage, after I do my show, I'm like, I've got some CDs. If anybody's interested, come down and see me. I don't say they cost anything, so they show up, and they got their money out. Like, how much is it? I'm like, if you want it, it's yours. And here's an extra one. Give that to somebody else who might want to hire somebody like me to do comedy at their event. So it's a 69-cent business card that I just hand out now, where it used to be super dependent on that. Sound Exchange has kind of moved that over to where I don't have to be the guy out there selling stuff after the show. I'm the guy that just gave it to you. And that's par- partially due to what you guys helped me out with. So it's really Great. changed in a lot of ways. So you mentioned clean material. It's a couple of you have mentioned clean material. What What is the thinking behind that? I mean, I can, I mean, talking back to Bill Cosby, I think, you know, people often credit him back in the day. You know, he had very clean things. You could watch it with your whole family. How How is that just out of just a personal curiosity in, in the comedy world? Well, for me... Uh, I've always thought, why not give every single person the chance to enjoy what you're doing? And what I noticed in the clubs, when you crossed over and did dirtier stuff, half the people didn't laugh at all. The other half laughed twice as much. So you can fool yourself on stage thinking you're still entertaining the entire audience. But your job is to really entertain everybody. And so by being clean, you can do that. And you also challenge the audience and you meet them at the top of their intellectual ability, and you don't throw them lobs and under, you know, underhanded passes to bring them down. And once you get them down, it's hard to get them back up. So always play the top of your audience's expectations and let them disappoint you. Don't do the other thing around. You know. That's great. Brian, Paulina, would you agree with that? I don't know. Yeah, there's some jokes I definitely wouldn't say in front of my mom. But <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think you need to be able to be clean. That's kind of my philosophy, is you definitely need to be able to clean it up. I think if you... Um, for me personally, if you stripped off, you know, the dirty words and, you know, graphic sex references, if there's nothing there, then there's nothing there. So that's kind of my idea. I think it should be able to stand alone. But if, you know, if people want something a little bit more crazy or sillier, then, hey, I'm the girl to, to do that, too. <laughs> you got to know your audience. I mean, if you're playing at 10 a.m. like you were yesterday, somebody needs to talk about this marathon that's going right. on. It's yeah, so yeah, yeah. cool. Do you guys know about the Broken Record show? So Nashville, Tennessee now holds the record for the longest stand-up comedy show with multiple comedians in the world. Guinness yes. World Records. Yeah. So the, the record was 80 hours, and that was in L.A., the Laugh Factory, right? And so we've 
I think we've doubled that. Yep. And uh, they're going to keep going to at least, they want to go to 420 in the morning on 420, which is t- tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know why that number is significant. <laughs> I don't, do you know? Um, but yeah, that's that's when they want to go because that'll be d- over double the record. And we've all performed on it multiple times and it's it's been really cool. As if you may have heard, once or twice during this panel, Brian has to be at Zany's at 630. So uh, if you guys are, uh, are looking for something to do tonight and we'll get you out of here on time. But thank you so much for your time and your thoughts. We are so excited. And this is a small token of sound exchange appreciation for your participation. Well, all for Paulina. Um, um, And thank you all for coming on a rainy Sunday afternoon. It was great to be part of the Nashville Film Fest. Thank you, Ted. Thank you. Well, Gavin, what'd you think about that? That was, uh, I was there and I thought it was pretty impactful. I loved it. Yeah. Can you get more like that? <laughs> you know, it was extremely cool to have not only uh, Linda there from Sound Exchange, but, you know, as she mentioned, they collect these royalties for comics, and they, sometimes they never even interact with the comics. Yeah. Or And they and they do it for, I mean, for Taylor Swift, it's too. It's a huge, yeah, it's a huge business thing. I mean. But it was a cool cool opportunity for me to get back and let her know how it's helped my wife stay at home <laughs> because of the income coming in from Sound Exchange yeah. and how it's also changed my approach to doing business because I can think of digital products as well as performing on stage. Right. And I, think, so, I think the mistake that a lot of people make is that they just think that the what's happening on stage is their main thing, and that's not the case nowadays. It's everything, and that digital stuff is a huge part of that. And it's only going to get bigger. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're not part of it, you're going to be left behind. It's not going to calm down. It's <laughs> no, it's, it's huge. So... Uh, Check the show notes for links to Sound Exchange and links to SiriusXM and how to get your stuff submitted. Yeah. And if you have any questions about that, of course, you can email us at schooloflaps at gmail.com. But, yeah. Uh, that was a fun one. Hope to do more like that. Love Hope that. you guys enjoyed That's it. awesome. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaps.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.